You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. So I, I always just kind of had that approach to uh, like basically everything. When we came out with our second album, I wanted to do a music video and I saw some videos online about doing green screen and I was like, ah, I can figure that out. And uh, bought bought a bunch of green fabric from Walmart, and you know we made Chains on Fire, which ended up actually turning out way way better than I thought it was going to turn out. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. I hope you've had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I am very, very stoked to announce that Heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal 2023 has just been announced. This year's event features performances by Clutch, Amigo the Devil, and Nate Bergman. This killer beer and metal event is happening on April 15th at M. Telus in Montreal. I am just so damn stoked. Tickets are now on sale and you can check them out via the link in the description of this podcast. I'm beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is just a master of all trades, someone that seems to be able to pull off just anything on their own, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 380 episodes where I hang out with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your master of all trades friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Ty Christian, also known as Fang Von Raffenstein of Lords of the Trident. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 389. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Ty Christian, also known as Fang Von Rastein of Lords of Trident. How are you doing? We are recording this at a Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. I love this. The first Thirsty Thursday virtual hang of 2023. My favorite Thursdays of every month. Uh, Ty, how you doing? I'm doing great. Super happy to be here. Uh, I am uh, I'm extremely stoked to finally, finally be part of the Vox and Hops gang because, like, man, I love beer. And I love vocals. And I was just like, this is this is perfect. I just I, I could, you know, I could talk about beer and vocals a long time. The only other thing I think I could talk about longer than that is my love of Japanese toilets. Probably. Oh, yes. Hell yes. Oh, yes. Have you um, there are people that don't know Japanese toilets are very interesting. Well, we'll just we'll just start with that. Oh, yeah. Let's okay. Get well, uh, yeah, that. let me let me jump right into it. Let me if you're not using a Japanese toilet, I want you to just go demolish the toilet that you have right now. And get on Amazon and just like go nuts because uh, you know the Japanese toilet technology is far and away above any other country out there. You sit down, you've got a warm seat, you've got uh, privacy technology, you've got you've got uh, the airflow that automatically like cleans the air. You don't it. smell anything. You've got and then you've got like different pressure washes after you're done. And the top of the line toilets you can even control via Bluetooth. So you don't even touch anything. My toilet at home, I've got a midline model, right? But it's connected to a Toto Tornado Flush, 
uh, toilet, which you can get 32 golf balls with one gallon of water, baby. But once that, you know, when I sit down, you do your thing, you, you, you have the, you know, the, the different types of, of nozzles and sprays that you can use to clean up afterwards. And then when everything's all done, boom, air dry. You got a butt blow dryer, baby. That's, I mean, what more would you need in your life? Really? I mean, honestly, it's amazing. I, I, I loved it when I did Japan, my last time out there was in 2019 uh, the accuracy is what surprised me it's so accurate it, it gets it every time no matter where you're seated it's just very impressive you know they've spent <laughs> years and years figuring that out but it's yeah it's, it's wonderful absolutely wonderful <laughs> 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 Amazing. Uh, massive shout out to Natalka uh, from the Thirsty Thursday gang for introducing us. Uh, as we spoke before we started recording here, we were both on each other's radar, but it just never happened. So shout out to Natalka for for being awesome, as always, and introducing me to amazing people. We love you, Nat. Uh, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. Ty, what beer do you have on your side that you're going to be sharing with us virtually tonight? Oh, my God. There were so many decisions in this because, I, you know, I've got just a beer fridge full of, of, of choices, uh, many of them amazing, some of them questionable. But I decided I wanted to go <laughs> a little bit more towards the Wisconsin side of things because we have such an amazing... Uh, amazing craft beer uh, culture here in Wisconsin. So, couple of couple choices that I brought together, and I think I know which one I'm going to go with. But I just wanted to highlight some of my favorites here locally. Um, there's a a brewery called Untitled Art. Uh, it's actually a nomadic brewery. Uh, so the guy makes the the guy who makes the uh, the recipes and stuff is somewhere in Scandinavia, uh, and and then he basically sends it to a brewery that's about eh. 10 minutes from my house and they make these incredible beers. They only, they, the cool thing about Untitled Art is they only make one beer once. So you, oh, when, cool. you get these beers in a four pack and you have to buy them. Otherwise they go away forever. They will never remake the beer, which it, it sucks sometimes. Um, the one that I've have today is the chocolate cinnamon churro pastry stout, which I've had one. That one's pretty good. Um, secondarily, of course, a lot of people know New Glarus Brewing, uh, a Wisconsin staple. That one is about 20, 20, 25 minutes from my house here in the town of New Glarus, uh, known as Little uh, Wisconsin's Little Switzerland. The uh, Mocha Berry Bock that I have here from New Glarus is one of their thumbprint series. So it's one of the ones that they only make once in a while. Uh, when Seven Kingdoms came through on tour in December of 2021, uh, Sabrina from Seven Kingdoms bought a four-pack of the Mocha Berry Bach and then kicked herself the entire rest of the tour because she loved it so very much. Yeah, and, and uh, New Glarus does not uh, ship or manufacture or do anything outside of Wisconsin, so you need to come to Wisconsin to get New Glarus. A lot of people like their Spotted Cow. It's a farmhouse ale. It's good. It's just like here in Madison, it's everywhere. It's like you've got Bud, Miller, and Spotted Cow. So people are freaking out about it, and then it's like, eh, I don't know why. The 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 beer I think I'm going to go with tonight, a very Wisconsin beer, Central Waters from Amherst, Wisconsin, just outside of Stevens Point, Wausau area, kind of the middle of the state. Um, the reason I'm choosing this one, uh, this is a Brewer's Reserve, so another one of those that's, you know, one and done. But it is a Raspberry Kringle Stout. So the Kringle, for people who are not familiar with the Kringle, uh, is a a very specialized pastry that's uh, that's famous from Racine, Wisconsin, which is about two hours from where I'm from uh, here in Madison. And it is sort of like a round, a very very large, very very round kind of flat pastry 
filled with wonderful fillings and uh, covered with uh, uh, some sort of um, glaze on the top. And uh, this this Raspberry Kringle Stout, not only is it a Wisconsin beer, but it throws you know some Wisconsin uh, uh, heritage in there. It's a stout aged in bourbon barrels with raspberry and natural flavors. 12% ABV, baby. So I think I'm going to go with that. Big. And I'm going to open it. Big. I'm going to open it with the Wisconsin Cheese <laughs> and Burger Society opener to get extra Wisconsin points. So there you go. Cheers, everybody. Cheers to you. I feel like you've mastered the word Wisconsin. You just smashed through it. It's very much amazing. Shout out to Casket Robbery. I know you're playing with them tomorrow, too. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Super excited. Vox and Hops alumni from Wisconsin. Uh, on my side, also, does that beer come with uh, a little pack of insulin? <laughs> I feel like I need it, Because right? it sounds like you might need it. Uh, this is uh, one of my collabs that dropped uh, for the four-year anniversary of Vox and Hops. This is my collab with Little Cottage Brewing, which I'm wearing the shirt of. Uh, this is uh, a very cool beer called Nightmare on Olive Street. The brewery is located in Atlanta, Georgia, or outside Atlanta on Olive Street. Uh, this is a big stout as well. Um, this one is uh, filled with brewer's molasses, uh, brewer's licorice. Um, it's conditioned on cinnamon, cascabel, and guajillo. Spicy peppers, people. 10.2%. Um, Philip Ivanovic really destroyed the artwork on this with the totally legal representation of uh, Freddy Krueger with uh, because it's a parody because he's got the the licorice and uh, cinnamon sticks on the claws instead. I'm going to crack this and I would love to hear about your very first beer tie. Do you remember the first beer they ever drank? Oh yeah, absolutely. My uh, my dad was uh, one of those. Uh, he, he was a big believer and and I'm I'm a big believer in this too. In that, you know, if you if you have a kid and and you want them to kind of stay on the straight and narrow in, in as far as like alcohol consumption is concerned, uh, basically just give them the you know t- tell them you're allowed to drink at home. You, you know, you give them the opportunity to to drink uh, and and try out the beer that you're having with dinner. And and what he always told me is he's like, listen, I I want you you know I know that. Alcohol consumption when you're in high school and whatnot can be a thing, and I want you to stay safe. I don't want you driving. I don't want you doing any of that. So if, if your friends want to have a party in which they want to consume alcohol, just come on over here, and I'll be home, and I can supervise, and you guys can have whatever beer or liquor or whatever you want. So that was a great parenting technique. The downside was is that he had the worst taste in beer. Oh, my <laughs> God. Horre- like. I don't know if you're familiar, and I hope you're not, but the, the, there's a beer called Mad Dog. And oh, no, no. It is terrible. And so, you know, I, I was, I don't know, I was 12, maybe, you know, and, and my dad, we were having dinner, and he says, hey, would you like a sip of the beer? You know, want to try this out? And I was like, okay, sure, yeah, you know, whatever, I'll give it a shot. And so I drink it, and holy shit, it's terrible. It's horrendous, Right. And so I'm like, oh, oh, you how could you drink? Ugh, you like that? And he's like, you'll understand when you're older. And what I understand when I'm older is that he has really bad taste in beer. So, so for a long time, <laughs> I I went to like, you know, I went to college and I went to house parties and whatever. And and and, and the house parties didn't have any better beer. You know, they had shitty whatever, on whatever that was cheap. And so for many, many years uh, uh, before I turned 21, you know, I would tell my friends like, look, I'm just not it. I'm just not into beer. You know, I, I like rum. I like bourbon. I like this and this and this. I'm not a beer guy. I'm not a beer guy. And my one of my best friends from my hometown 
had himself a very close friend who was older and was a bartender. And he said to me, uh, it's not that you don't like beer. You just haven't found the right beer yet. And so what we ended up doing... Uh, so I'm originally from Superior, Wisconsin, which is just uh, hours away from the Canadian border, basically. So what we would do is we would just drive up to Canada and we we planned out basically a beer education uh, weekend where he got a hotel room, drove up to Canada and just, you know, we just drove around, took taxis around. And I basically he, he put, you know, seven, eight, ten different beers in front of me at all of these different little microbrews and different bars until I found one that I liked. And then eventually I sort of expanded from there. Uh, and of course, the ones that I liked were the, you know, the, the big dark stouts. I was more of like a, a brown and down kind of a guy until I expanded my palate a bit. So Amazing. That's so exciting. And cheers to that friend of yours for, for taking the time to, to, to beer educate you, to, to educate you. <laughs> I got a beer education. <laughs> there you go. I like that thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's true. A lot of people try stuff for the first time and they just write it off forever. Like metal, <laughs> exactly. <which is> interesting. <laughs> it's too much. It's too extreme. I've I've also tried to expand my dad's sort of beer repertoire, and he's 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 gotten better. He's gotten better. I'll just say, you know, he's not <laughs> he's not quite where we are, you know, us us enlightened folks. Uh, but but you know, he's gotten better. Uh, we just have to try them all. That's the problem. Uh, this poured out gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous head head retention's awesome. The the licorice and cinnamon strong on the nose. Mouthfeel is incredible. It's so thick and creamy. Um, that once again the licorice, the cinnamon popping. It's sweet but not too sweet because the the spice comes in and kicks in at the end. But it's not too spicy. Really good. Little College Brewing. Will, massive shout out to you, bud. Uh, I know you're listening to this. Really appreciate you making this for the fourth anniversary of Oxen Hops. Classic question. The I'd like to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents or guardians' house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? I hope it was better than his beer taste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, um, I grew up with a, a, a lot of different, very, uh, very weird, very varied uh, uh, LPs and cassettes. I remember Michael Jackson's Thriller, uh, listening to that a lot. Um, my dad was a big Bob Seger fan, and I I love Bob Seger's voice. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, and I, I, I listened to... <laughs> I, I, uh, I listened to a lot of Gloria Estefan from my mom. And, oh, shit. And my, dad, my dad loved her. Eh? You know that? It's so funny. I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought she was so cool. And then I would, you know, like I'd have my I'd have my friends over or we'd, you know, my baseball team would be, oh, we're going out to the cabin. I'm like, guys, you got to check this out. This is this is the real hot shit. And I'd play like, buddy, baby, do the conga. And, and they were all looking at me like, what is he about? You know, so. So, yeah, there was a there was a it was a lot of like classic rock staples and um, and and sort of 80s late 80s early 90s pop was was kind of the the general direction of my parents uh you know yeah i remember my dad going to see gloria estefan and apparently there was a lot of underwear being thrown on stage this is like a vivid memory i have and i don't know if it was just him joking and teasing but um I've, it's a vivid, vivid memory of, of him saying that and talking about underwear being... Maybe he might have just been joking with his friends, him throwing his underwear. I'll have to ask him. I'm going to see him in the next few days. <laughs> How about your first live music experience? Do you remember the first show that you went to go see? Yeah, very much. I, I went to go see Real Big Fish 
with my with my friend who was a huge real big fish fan and uh and that was that was our fir- that was the first concert I ever went to where like parents were not involved and it was a very small club um in Duluth Minnesota uh and it was crammed you know and I was like I mean I'm I was uh 13 maybe maybe 13 you know and so I was like this tall and there was a, b- a billion people in front of me. I, th- I think I saw a trombone, a trombone like once, you know, <laughs> like maybe. But I, I, I remember I remember really enjoying it. It was way louder than I thought. You know, this was obviously before I knew everything about hearing protection and all this sort of stuff. Way louder than I thought it was going to be. Came home with some ringing ears. Um, and my friend, my, I remember my friend freaking out, you know, for a lot of the songs and like skanking, you know. And I didn't know what the fuck to do. So I was just like, yeah, no. uh, uh, that, that, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I was going to ask if you skanked in your first pit. Yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, I I, uh, I, I did my best. I just fo- you know followed what my friend was doing. Like, oh, we're doing this. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing about a mosh pit is it's a, the educational processes that go on there is is by looking around and seeing what other people are doing and the culture of mosh pits is something that interests me very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about your first time on stage? First time on stage, um, I don't know if this 100% counts, but it's it's when I lost my stage fright forever. Um, and, oh, you know, I, I, I'll say, like, <clears throat> I don't know if we're counting, like, school pageants or whatever. Oh, I'd love to go back that far. Yeah, that's what I like. I like to hear about the stage fright and the, and the shittiness, because I went through that as well. Well, you know, I, I never really had too much... I, I don't remember too much about, like, the school pageants other than, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there was, like, a Christmas nativity something or other at some point. I went to a Catholic school all the way up through eighth grade, if you believe it. Uh, and, you know, with a, with a last name like Christian. Uh, but... I do. I do very much remember my first actual like solo on stage performance uh, because I, I, when I was eight, I started taking piano lessons. When I was st- uh, ten, I started taking vocal lessons, uh, mostly because I wouldn't stop fucking singing during my piano lessons. Uh, and my teacher was like, "All right, Jesus Christ, we're just fine here." here. Um, fine, you win. Yeah, but I, I remember I was nine years old, and it was uh, a a or maybe I was ten. It was nine or ten, and I and I was uh, it was my first piano competition. We went up to a uh, we, we went up to a, a university that had a large auditorium, and I think this was up somewhere in Minnesota. And and I was ten, and I had this like you know. Tchaikovsky piece or some something, and I walk into this empty auditorium, completely empty and dark, right? And there's a stage in front of me with the piano, and the only people in the auditorium are three tiny old German women, like you, like like maybe five feet, maybe right? And they look identical. They have got like the the big you know the poofy hair. And they've got a clipboard and they're like basically like taking notes the entire time and they just stare daggers into me. That was the most afraid I've ever been in my life. That was the most stage fright I've ever had in my entire life. I walked up to the that, piano. That was the competition. That was the competition. There was no crowd. It was just three people evaluating you. Oh, that's so scary. So there's no vibe. No, it was it was literally it was literally just like they were grading you on points, right? So I remember walking up to the piano, my hands are shaking. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and I and I end up playing it like, OK, I think I remember I got third place, but I left that auditorium. I remember it being like the most stressful and scary experience 
uh, on stage of my life. And I left that auditorium and that actually cured my stage fright forever. I have zero stage fright now, no matter the situation. Because it can't get as bad as that. Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> nothing is nothing is worse than that. Absolutely nothing is worse than that. You don't have like flashback nightmares about these three women. I mean, I, I kind of laugh about it now because it, it was kind of advantageous, you know? Like mm-hmm. when I was in uh, when I was in in high school, I, I was the I, I was in the theater group and and everybody else had those, you know, pangs of anxiety and, you know, oh, I, I, I missed a line or I lost my th- lost my place or whatever. And I was just like, <laughs> no German women in the audience. Come on. Like, what are you gonna do? You know? <laughs> that is something very important. The spot, the dark spiral, the, the black void of, oh, shit, I fucked up. And then having to be able to do what you just said and just move on. I was so and, I was so like fearless on stage during high school that um, there was a play where someone had to drop their pants on stage and they and they cast me specifically for that role because they knew I wouldn't care. And then it worked out so well. We actually won like a statewide award for that like play. It worked out so well that they just kept finding plays where people drop their pants <laughs> and then I was like the drop the pants guy in high school. You're typecast. Yeah, I mean, again, I was. I will say it got me. A, it got me a decent number of dates, so I'm. I'm okay with it. You know, like, hey. <laughs> amazing. Uh, your voice. You mentioned piano class, singing. Uh, was piano class a choice, or was it something that you were put into? Um, it was. It was something that I mean, I was asked if I wanted to do it, and um, my, and I said yes because I was eight and I didn't know any better, <laughs> but. Um, my, I grew up in a very musical family on my mom's side. My dad's side can't carry a tune at all, but my mom actually has two gold records from her time in the Duluth Accordionaires, which is a 60-person all-accordion orchestra. They toured Europe. They had four or five albums. Um, and, you know, it, like, imagine an entire orchestra... And it's just all accordions. It's all accordions. And and at the time, she was very embarrassed by that because this was like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and accordions were not cool. So she ended well, up... I don't know. Weird, Weird Al was well, sort of cool with an accordion at that time, but, but it was still like parody, right? It's not serious, but it's not like revered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved Weird Al, but, you know, she so she was into like extreme sports. And at the time, it wasn't really cool to be like... You know, uh, speed skating, and also like, yeah, I fucking shred the accordion. I mean, nowadays that'd be that'd be nowadays wild. It'd be killer, yeah. Um, so <laughs> she never really talked about that, but I ended up taking uh, piano and voice lessons with one of her best friends from the accordionaires who lived, you know, uh, five miles from us, and uh, and 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 my my grandparents, uh, her her you know her mom and dad were in an uh, in a polka band, uh, uh, and that's kind of how they met and. I, I would go over to their house and I'd see their posters on their wall down in the basement of the rec room and I'd see pictures of them playing to like packed, you know, houses and stuff like that. And I mean, it just it just seemed really cool to me. My, my grandpa was a huge influence on, you know, kind of my approach to life and just general 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 stuff. And he would always come over and just kind of, you know, he'd be able to sit down at the piano and play a song and sing and and everybody would just clap along and it, would, it was super fun. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that. That's what I want. That you know. So that was kind of like a uh, a big influence on me. That's super super sick. So then you start singing, and then you get into musical theater in in 
in high school were, were they happy and not only about the the pant dropping about the fact that you could actually sing because i and when i was in high, in high school they were like fuck this kid can sing let's give him some roles let's build some role he can you know he can mediocrely act but he can <laughs> sing so we'll give him some of the bigger roles let's say yeah yeah that was definitely a boon for me it was being able to sing and uh and being able to you know basically be mildly fearless on stage um around that time too i i started my first band in high school and i started playing the, the keyboard if you believe it like i was the main singer but i also played the keyboard and we we did like uh, alternative rock and fun. we did like you know like pearl jam and red hot chili peppers and you know that it was the style of the time you see and it was very popular yeah. you know <laughs> and it was and in green day it was it was like easy stuff you know but we had a, we had a lot of fun doing it and then my we were five piece and one of the guitarists quit and and this was like maybe nine months into the band and so i decided that there was more opportunity uh as a as a guitarist than a keyboardist in the style we were playing so i i bought a cheap guitar and i I basically taught myself how to play guitar using like online you know the 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 early dial-up internet online tabs uh that uh that i could you know get my hands on and just kind of learned organically um and yeah i started playing there and we we had the the band going for all pretty much all four years of high school and we were kind of the I, I don't know if we were like popular but like you know we were like the only band maybe like there, there was another band but like they were a lot more angry at their dad which was ended up being a lot more popular than us I suppose but you know as it got later on at <laughs> the time but they were they were a lot more like hard rock radio and we were kind of more you know softer Pearl Jam kind of a side, a side of things so I am very happy that I found my band in high school and I started and we still got, we hung out for the first time in 20 years, uh, back in, in August and we jammed together these, these original songs and it was, it was really, really very cool. It's, it's, it's nice to, to be able to do stuff like that. Um, something as I was preparing for this, uh, you're basically an expert in uh, DIY. So, so I'd like to dig deep into that. That's like a, the main thematic of what this chat's going to f- focus on. Cryptopsy was independent uh, since uh, 2012. Uh, we released uh, one album, two EPs, and now we have signed subsequently back to a major label. Um, talk to me about doing everything yourselves, a lot of it doing it like in-house, you know, from video production to photography to to basically everything. Uh, what was the main reason for Lords of the Trident being a do-it-yourself band? I am cheap. <laughs> that's, the main, that's the main reason. Like, I, I don't have a, I, at, at, you know, early on in the band, I didn't have a lot of money and, you know, um, and essentially I, 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 I don't know. There, there was a moment, there was, there was a moment in my life where my, my dad has been a, a big DIY guy, but his focus was on like cars. So he would buy, <clears throat> he would buy a car from a junkyard. I still remember, I remember he brought in a minivan that had had been in a like a front end and back end crash with two semis and it was a cube it was literally a cube right there was no front there was no back it was just a square and i remember him slowly like building it out and ma- and and making it a, a functional minivan and it and it worked and we we drove it for uh, i don't know like 10 years um so he was he was big on like the mechanical side of diy and and there was uh, there was a couple moments in my life where um, I you know would would chat with somebody who I had like I, you know a plumber would come over and and 
um, would be fixing something that, that, that blew up in the house or whatever. And, and there was a couple moments where I was watching, you know, I'd, I'd always ask if I could watch what, what they were doing and I'd ask him questions and, and it just, a, a lot of it came off as like, I could do this. Like I could, I could figure this. This, this doesn't seem like some like arcane knowledge. It doesn't seem like something you need to like go to school for, for 25 years and get a PhD or whatever to like, to figure this out. So I, I always just kind of had that approach to like basically everything, you know, I, um, we, we, when we came out with our second album, I wanted to do a music video and I saw some videos online about doing green screen. And I was like, ah, I can figure that out. And, uh, bought, bought a bunch of green fabric from Walmart and, you know, we made chains on fire, which ended up actually turning out way, way better than I thought it was going to turn out. So the, um, and, and then, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of went from there. I, I, I kind of always figured that it was better for me to try it myself and, and, and fail at it. And then I'd learn something. And then if I needed to, I could pay for it. You know, like, like there's no, there's no harm in me trying to make a music video. And if it sucks, I'm just not going to release it. And then I'll just pay somebody to do it. Or, you know, there's no harm in me trying to mix our album. And if it sucks, I'll just pay somebody to do it. And I just won't release the shitty mix that I made. You know, but I'll, I'll definitely learn something in the process. And I think also, you know, if, if you if you're unafraid to DIY anything, you know, not just music stuff, but you gain a you gain a better appreciation for the different skill sets that everyone has. And I think you're able to speak more languages, so to speak. You know, if somebody is you know super into like home recording or if somebody is in, into super into video or if they're super into plumbing, you know, you can you have something to talk with them about and you can kind of get on their level and make a more human connection with them. So that, that's, that's kind of been the focus of, of the, the DIY ethos of, of Lords of the Trident. And it's, it's just paid off really well. You know, I'm, I'm definitely a a jack of all trades, uh, you know, master of none kind of a thing, but it's nice because if there's something that we want to do as a band, it's, it's not like, let's save up the money to, to do this. It's like, I think I can figure this out. And then if it sucks, we'll save up the money, the money to do it. You know? So <laughs> if a band, if a young band is listening, what would be the tools that you wish you knew back in the day when you started all this, doing it independently, doing everything yourselves? Uh, what, what would be like, a, like a little like secret, like cheat code yeah. list that you could give a young band? Yeah. So first off, um, the internet, just generally, you know, like I, I, uh, back in my day, it was not as, oh, you couldn't just go to YouTube. You had to actually search the Google. I remember three pages deep you had to go. But, you know, it's true. <laughs> um, I, I, for, for young bands, I mean, so I actually just, I, you know, uh, maybe about a year ago came out with a, uh, a, like a DIY band course through Spectre Digital with uh, Glenn Fricker. And where I go, it I go in deep into like DIY merch, DIY touring. Uh, if there's one thing that I think changed the trajectory and the face of Lords of the Trident, you know, uh, forever, it was learning to print our own T-shirts. And it is so ridiculously, stupidly easy to print your own T-shirts. You you need maybe like eighty dollars in materials, maybe, to make a really professional-looking T-shirt. Um, and, and, and all of the materials that I make these, you know, T-shirts out of and, and screen prints out of, I, I just go to Goodwill 
Like, and I buy curtain fabric and I buy, you know, shitty wood from Home Depot that's in the, in the dollar bin. And I can make, you know, 500 t-shirts more, you know, plus, I mean, I, they, they last for a long, long time. Um, and, and the, the nice thing, so like, you know, new bands, they always want to try to diversify. They want to get their name out there. They want to, they want to have something on their merch table that they can sell. The problem is, is that they're, they're new enough where they don't understand their, uh, they don't understand their market. They don't understand their, their general, um, uh, the, the, the type of people that are coming to their shows and what they want to buy. Right. So you might come up with this amazing design. You think this, that this design is incredible and amazing and it's always going to fly off the shelves. And then you have, you have to make bare minimum 60 t-shirts cause you're going through a local company. And then they sit in your basement for five years until you finally just give them away because you're like, get this shit out of my basement. Right. I have done that. Yeah. Everybody's done that. <laughs> I've done that too. Right. And, and the thing is, is like, you never know what design is going to be a hit and what design is going to be a flop. So if you have the opportunity to print these shirts yourself, you can print five, right? You can print five for the same price that you print 500. It's still going to be like, you know, $3 a shirt or whatever, you know, for, to print five, then to print 500, but you print five and you bring them to a show. And if all five of them sell and people are like, where can I get more of these shirts? Then, you know, you got a hit on your hands. And if over the course of, I don't know, two, three shows, none of them sell, then you, you haven't wasted any money. You've wasted maybe like, I don't know, you know, 40 bucks on materials, about it. Instead of wasting $400 on six, on 60 shirts that are going to live in your basement for the rest of the, you know, but you know, there's, there's, there's endless opportunity uh, for for bands, not just in the merch side of things, but you know, in 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 uh, video production, social media, in touring, there's endless opportunities for bands out there who you know have uh, creative ideas and aren't afraid to try things and fail and learn from their you know their failures because it's, it's a lot it's it's a lot easier to like do that and then to recover and you know be in a uh, have the next stepping stone be right in front of you than to say you know have a new band try to go right to europe or you know <laughs> like oh we're gonna play a a four-week you know u.s tour and nobody knows who the hell we are like that's a that's a bad idea you know so like small small stepping stones you learn from your failures you can continue that uh but print your own damn t-shirts jesus christ that's that's my big hack right there that is very cool and that was not the answer i was expecting and i think that's very interesting and i, I have a follow-up uh what would be like a one color design what what is basically this talk us through how people can make their own merch super easy and and again i go into like 100 all the detail on the DIY diy merch um uh course that i have out uh but essentially the the process is this you you, you buy some wood you make a box right you buy some sheer curtain fabric and the, the more tight-knit is the more, like, pixel density that you have on this thing. You staple the curtains to the, to the box. You duct tape it down real, real tight. And then you buy uh, this stuff called emulsion paint. You can get it at any craft store. Um, and essentially, it's UV reactant paint. So you cover, the, you cover the box with the curtain fabric in this paint. You let it dry in a dark place with no UV. So you, in your basement, all the lights turned off. You get one of those, like, bug bulbs or the red bulbs you see in the like the photo labs and that kind of stuff. Then you go to, go down to your UPS store or your local print shop and you get them to print out, you know, your cool ass design that you designed in GIMP because you're too cheap for Photoshop. 
uh, and, and you, you uh, have them printed out on transparency paper, so the overhead projector film that you used to see in the, in the, in the schools. You get a 150-watt light bulb, and then you hang it 18 inches from your, your box. You put the, you, the, the transparency on top of it, and you let it sit for about an hour and 10 minutes. And I usually like to move it every, you know, a, a third, a third, a third. I like to kind of move it back and forth. And what that does is that the, the, the black of your design that's on that transparency paper will reject the UV light. The, the, the transparent part will accept the UV light and it'll harden. So as soon as that's done, you take it to the sink, you wash it out, and boom, you have a screen, a negative of your design. Then all you got to do is you just get a shirt, you put that screen on the shirt, you put some shirt ink in it, you get a squeegee, you can just buy them online for like eight bucks and go, whoop, whoop, and then that's it. You've printed your shirt, you're done. It is insanely easy. I wish, like, if I knew that I could do that at the beginning of the band, I would have made so much more money. And it, oh God, it was yeah. It is insanely easy. And again, you know, if you want to hear the uh, all the details, all the little itty bitty, you know, things that I've learned along the way, um, check out the course. Absolutely, I will definitely drop the link in the description of this podcast, peeps. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth it if you're uh, a band thinking about doing more things yourselves. Back to the beginning when you were Lords of Trident was was kicking off, was doing everything yourselves in the plans or is that something that happened over time? Did you always want to be an independent band or did you have the big dreams of being on the label? Oh, everybody has a big dream of being on a label until you like learn what a label is all about. <laughs> you know, everybody everybody's very excited and, you know, has that rock star dream. Um, and I think honestly the, the being independent was never, you know, hundred percent in the cards. It was just like how do we get from the garage to touring locally? And then how do we get from touring locally to touring regionally? And then how do we get from touring regionally to touring nationally and then internationally? And, and 99.9% of it is, is like, you just got to do shit yourself so that you get noticed. Ultimately a label comes in and capitalizes on years and years and years and years of your hard work and grinding. Right. And none of that, it, you know, there, there's no situation nowadays where a label is going to be like, you know, like, there's going to be a guy in the back with a chest hair and a gold chain go like, ah, there's lots of trading kids. Ah, they, they got something. I can see them being something in four or five years. We're going to give them forty thousand dollars and they're going to go into the studio. And they're going to make a make a make a big splash. You see, man, that, like that never happens. It, it never, ever happens. If it did happen, it definitely doesn't happen anymore. So, you know. In order to be on a label, in order to play the giant festivals, in order to, you know, be seen by, you know, amazing podcasts like Vox and Ops, you got to, like, put out so much, you know, material and so much work uh, yourself and no one's going to help you do it, you know. And then and then some people decide to go the label route after they've put in years and years and years of blood, sweat and tears and they decide to, you know, to see what the label thing is all about because maybe they're still in love with that idea. We're, we're definitely not in love with that idea. We actually had a, a, a major label court us for a while. And, and they, they, said, they said something to me that broke my brain. And this is why we decided to cut off ties with them. Okay? So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Lords of the Trident... 
Um, you know, we've been independent for, you know, at this point, I mean, we've been a band for like 15 years. We've been independent the entire time. We've toured all around the U.S. We've done, I don't even know how many music videos we have out there. We've got 10 albums. Um, we've got, I mean, like, and at the time we were talking to this major label, we were just about to go on a, a self-funded, self-put-together tour of Europe, our first tour of Europe. And and this and this is like you know year four maybe of our giant festival Madith Power Fest, right? So we're kind of like, I mean we're we we do so much shit that it it's ridiculous. Like we we do way too much shit, you know, way more shit than any other band that I know of. Uh, just because I have a problem standing still. But the 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 label in question they had a they had an offer on the table we were looking back and forth on it we said and we said okay yeah let's do this let's sign let's go ahead and and do it they had this label had two owners one was in Chicago and one was in like L A the one in Chicago was all like gung ho yes yes sign Lords of the Trident oh my God they they work harder than any band on our label like Jesus Christ um, the one in L A I think maybe wasn't into the costumes maybe wasn't into the big stage show I'm just this is you know, theoretical. I'm not 100% sure. But he emailed me something that destroyed my brain. And I was, I was, I, I was, I'm still pissed. Even thinking about this pisses me off. But it, like for, for like an entire day, I couldn't talk because of how, like, I was just like, I, you know, and he emailed me the one sentence. He said, I'd like to see you doing more. And I was like, ah, 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 you know, like we're literally about to go to fucking Europe and like uh, ourselves. We put the whole thing together. We run a giant festival. We have 10 out like, you know, so I was like, all right, that's it. We're done. We're done. We're not going to do it. We're not going to not going to sign with you. And it was actually kind of good that we didn't because it was like 20, 2019 on the verge of 2019, 2020. Right. So it's like, oh, well, that worked out. That was fine. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> That's so, fucking crazy. Yeah, good for you for standing your ground and yeah, putting all the work in and and, and knowing and, that you've done enough. You know, and and I think there are some labels that do a good job for their, you know, for, for their for for their uh, the people on the label. And I, I just I think that the 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 need for a label is is something that is not necessary nowadays as long as you're willing to to you know watch some youtube videos and and put in the work you know <laughs> like anyone can figure out how to make a good ass music video you just gotta watch a lot of music you can watch a lot of youtube watch a lot of music videos and and watch a lot of tutorials and figure shit out you know anybody can figure out how to do a successful tour again you gotta watch a lot of youtube videos you can buy my course uh, or you know you know, just whatever but there's so there's so many opportunities nowadays uh, in terms of the information being out there for bands that there hasn't been previously, and it's just a separation of like, do you want to do the work, or do you want to have somebody take most of your money and then they do the work? Like maybe they do the work, maybe. You know, that's another thing. It's like eh, it's not guaranteed. Uh, I think a lot of bands are uh, go under labels because of. The, the promise of publicity and all that sort of stuff and like blowing up. And there was somebody, one of my good friends who was on a major label told me, he said, you know, Ty, you can just pay the publicist that they 
that they use higher exactly you could just you like they'll take your money they 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 don't necessarily just work for that label they'll they work for you too exclusive clauses yeah yeah so that's that's what we've been doing and it's been very good very 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 good so <laughs> very very you, you mentioned a few times music videos uh we're in 2023 now do you think that it is utterly crucially important for bands to have good music videos yeah 100 percent Yep. What is the reasoning behind that? When 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 you hear of a new band, like what's the first thing that you do? For me, when I hear of a new band, I go to YouTube, type in their name, you know, and it, and the more content that I can consume from this new band, the, the higher chance of me becoming a fan of them, you know, even if it's even if it's not necessarily amazing quality, you know, if it's not like you know directed by Steven Spielberg music videos, like the more opportunity I have to ingest what they've been putting out, the more opportunity that is to convert me into somebody who's going to come to the show, buy a t-shirt, tell the, tell my friends about them. If I can't find anything about your band, I can't really like tell if I like it or not, you know? So, and, and I think, you know, I, I think for a lot of bands, the, the, the medium of, of, a of, of YouTube, of a music video um, is is a good way to both get your music across, get your style across, get your look across, and kind of get the vibe of the band across. You know, you, depending on what music video you watch um, and what types of music videos bands make, you can tell, like, oh, is this a band that's, like, a bunch of fun guys hanging out? Is this a band that is, like, very deathly serious about my music? Oh, my God. You know, or is this a band that... It, it, there's There's all sorts of different vibes that you can get. Um, you know, if depending on what you watch, so I, th- I think me- the music video is a very, very powerful medium to uh, to create more fans and to instantly kind of get that vibe going for for anybody who's going to get into you. You know, absolutely, very interesting, and I think I do agree with the the understanding the vibe of the band, uh, the brand of the band. You'll get like a more in depth uh, perception of what you're stepping into when you actually get to see something that they're portraying versus just listening to it. As we were talking, something that came to me in my mind, I know it's very difficult. You keep mentioning that you're doing so much work yourselves. Um, Band member hustle. How hard is it to keep a lineup of everybody doing stuff? And then you yourself hypothetically not getting upset if other people aren't pulling their weight and do you expect all your band members to have the same hustle as you no no i'm 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 a i i think i've you know come to the realization you know over these many years that i'm just a a big stupid moron who you know (laughs) won't stop and can't stop and so yeah no I've, i've come to peace with the fact that like none of the other band members are going to be as as hustly or as they're they're not going to do as much as I do, and that's okay, uh, because inherently as a singer, I don't have to load gear as much. So I I have a complex about that where it's like ah oh, God, I'm not lifting heavy things. I need to pull my own weight, so to speak, you know. <clears throat> so I do the books and I do the Excel spreadsheets and I book the tours and I do all this. I'm the band dad basically. And I, I read I read an interesting book. It, it, <laughs> It's actually kind of kind of silly. Um, I picked up, and this was many years into you know running a successful band. I picked up how to start a band for dummies, uh, and, and it's one of those like four dummies books. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I I have that actually. So so there's a, there's a section early on 
where it's like they talk about the archetypes of band members and they talk about there's there's the archetype of the leader and there's the archetype of the talent right and they say that it's very very rare for a band to have a leader who is also the talent you know and if that happens unless they have a very good support structure in terms of management they will burn out right what's more likely is that you have someone who is the the spreadsheet guy and then you have somebody who's actually writing the material right and and that's kind of the the vibe that we have in lords of the trident now i i do you know i write all my melody lines i write all the lyrics and i've written a song or two but i'm definitely not the the songwriting dude you know i'm not gonna make a chorus on songwriting you know um I, i leave that to the other guys and and so you know in order to pick up the slack so to speak you know i'm doing the the rest of the the everything you know making the website handling all the merch orders booking the tours all that sort of stuff so i i think it's important for any band that's listening to understand that you know there there needs to be a separation of of jobs and priorities but you you need to put the strength where the strength lies if somebody's an amazing songwriter you shouldn't expect them to be a twitch streamer as well right you know if they don't want to if somebody loves pivot tables, like there's your fucking budget guy, right there. You know, <laughs> if you if you've got a if you've got a subscription to like the in Excel Insider Club, you know, there's your <laughs> band manager. That's the guy. You know? So so yeah, it, it's 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 that kind of a thing. I, I don't expect the other guys to do uh, to do quite as much as I do because I'm I'm stupid and I also love Excel. So is that something that you had to learn over time <laughs> that your other band members weren't going to put? as much work in um yes and no yeah i i think you know i think early on there were a lot of situations some bands like for instance some bands do really good where they all get everybody in the same room and they start jamming and they write a song together right some bands do that wonderfully uh, a band like us you get us in a in a room and you try to write a song together it does not work it absolutely does not work we need to be like in separate locations this guy writes the pre-chorus this right guy writes the chorus i come up with the lyrics separately you know you can't expect that kind of inspiration on the spot to happen that collaboration on the spot to happen and so i think i took that and sort of applied it towards the the management and the business side of lords like there are some things that i am uh, very good at but i don't want to i don't expect the rest of the guys to be good at it um and and i think i learned that early on you know that it's it's best to just kind of as as a leader, as a manager, as a, somebody who's in charge, quote unquote, in charge, right of the band, it's best to let the you know the people who love doing X, Y, or Z let them do X, Y, or Z, and don't expect them to to balance the books. You know, I'm I'm very lucky that our bassist is a big giant IT nerd like me, and so I can bounce ideas off of him, and I can give him I can, I can say like, yo, uh, can you tidy up the Google Drive? And he's like, yes. Oh, my God. I have this. I have an idea for a schema. I'm like, fuck, yeah, a schema. Oh, hell, yeah. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> um, Mad with power. Uh, I read a little bit about uh, all the big festivals. Everything was sort of shunning you guys or like leading you along, say, saying that you were booked and then losing emails. And do you, do you want the do you want the insider dirt? The insider scoop. The a lot, I think a lot of people here are familiar with Prague Power USA, right? Like thumbs up if you're familiar with Prague Power USA. In the okay, 
So there's a there's it's it's run by three booking agents, um, and essentially, without going into the long version of the story, one of the booking agents, uh, Nathan Block, who runs the Wednesday night, you know, uh, thing. Uh, offered basically offered us a spot and then lost our email and then he promised us next year. Oh, and then he lost that email. Oh, and then he promised us next year. Oh, and then Glory, ha- sorry guys, Glory Hammer came and bought your spot out from under you. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they they just they had to do it. Um, and then and then came back the next year or two years later, and he said, "You guys can play for fifteen thousand dollars payable to me." Who there's people still buy on to festival like big bands still buy on to festivals? I don't know. Well, get that. and not just buy on to festival, like not payable to Prague Power, payable to me, right? Uh, and and I came to find out that Prague Power had no idea that he was taking money. Uh, he still he still books for them, by the way, which is very very interesting. Um, and and it was around that time it was around the time that Glory Hammer quote unquote bought our spot. I, I later found out that was not true. Uh, that it was just something he made up, um, but it was around that time where I said, "You know what? If they, I, it, it's clear to me they're never going to book us, uh, and so fuck it, I'm going to start my own festival." And and there was a bunch of our friends who were kind of mid tier, you know, power metal people in the United States who were also being, you know, just kind of passed over over and over and over again, and they had no real festival to kind of call their own, you know, so. So I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to I'm going to make a better prog power. It's going to be cooler because it's going to have arcade games and pinball. And we're going to, you know, I and I, I've been going to festivals for many years. I'm going to try to take all of the shittiness out of the festival. I'm going to make a festival that is like 100 percent directed at uh, the, the attendees having an easy, good you know, time with 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 all of the the shittiness of the festival, you know, circuit kind of taken out. And so that that was the whole idea with with uh, Mad with Power, is to sort of make a you know a a, a a a power metal festival that could cater more to those mid to mid high tier uh, power metal acts in the United States and and you know trad metal acts too. I like trad metal too, um, m- mostly just like generally clean vocals or like super nerdy bands like you know, which you know is pretty broad, but. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I was just sick of I, I was sick of there's a lot of and I'm sure you've run into it, too. There's just a lot of people in the music industry that are predatory and shitty and 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 it's there's not much you can do or say about it because they're in positions of power, you know, and I just got really sick of it. And I'm like, you know what? I, I need to make a festival that's like the antithesis of that, you know, where it's it's more about the community. It's more about the aspect of of when you go to a festival, when you go to a metal festival, a lot of it is about like seeing your family, you know, the, the family you've created. Um, and it, it, for, you know, for, I, I, I heard people at Prague power, you know, who would go every year and they don't care who's playing because it's, it's like just the, a reunion with their friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so mad with power, the, the directive of mad with power is like, what if we made a festival where the main focus is understanding that aspect where it's it's a, it's more about getting together with friends than it is necessarily being excited for X Y or Z band. You know, we still try to book good bands. We still try to put on an amazing festival. But like, you know, it, we do a lot more around the aspect of community building. You know, we have we have uh, pre fest where it's mostly just hangouts. We have uh, you know the cheese curd metal massacre where we all go up 
dressed up in our you know in our in our battle vests and we try to sell out the farmers market you know uh, out of out of cheese curds <laughs> um, and it, you know it, it's a lot more towards that I, I want to build a festival where it doesn't matter who I book you know where where I know that no matter no matter gonna who I book, out, it's no gonna, matter what, or or at least it's gonna experience. it's gonna break yeah. even. You know, I don't I don't care about yeah. selling out. I just care about not losing my house. That's all I care about. <laughs> well, it's going well because you're upping this year. I've read you're going to a two thousand cap room. Twenty five hundred. Um, there's there's arcade games all around. Uh, what 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 else can people expect? Of- yeah. So uh, if you if you come to Mad with Power Fest, um, it's a two day festival. We hold it on the third weekend of August every every year in Madison. Here we're moving to the Sylvie, which is our brand. It's a brand new venue, twenty five hundred capacity, three floors, um, and we are filling it with um, sixty to seventy free play arcade games, pinball games, um, and 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 the like. Um, like I said, it, you know, it's very focused on on the the fast going experience. So all the arcade games and pinball games are all, all on free play. We have, uh, yeah, we have uh, we have a bunch of amazing bands. Unleash the Archers is headlining one night. We've got an amazing headliner for uh, for night number two that I can't talk about yet because I haven't one hundred percent signed the contract yet. But it's going to be if 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 they say yes, them plus Unleash the Archers, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Essentially. Um, but you know we've got other amazing bands, Seven Spires. We've got us. We've got uh, Will to Run. We've got uh, Seven Kingdoms. We got Greyhawk. We got. Uh, it, it's a great time. Madispowerfest dot com. We do a, we do like a pre a pre fest uh, meetup at an arcade where we all you know get together and hang out. Uh, we have a Magic the Gathering tournament that happens at the festival. Um, we have a, uh, like I said, we got the cheese curd metal the the metal cheese curd massacre where we go to the farmer's market, which is about half a mile from the venue, and we just try to destroy all of the cheese curd supply. Um, and, and you know, it, it, it's really a festival um, designed towards the, the, the festival goer. Um, it, it's one of those festivals that I hope people go to and, like, make new friends, you know, because that, that's happened to me so many times at many of these festivals. That's, that's kind of the vibe that I want to want to give off here. Um, we talk a lot about the um, the new wave of nice metal buds, the NWO NMB, uh, <laughs> and so I, I do my damnedest to um, to book and promote bands that have that mentality of like a rising tide raises all ships. We're all in it together. Oh, Nobody's yeah. in competition. You know, just because you're a fan of Seven Spires doesn't mean you can't be a fan Don't of Lords like of the Trident. Band. You know, exactly. So, so I, so silly. yeah, so that, that's, that's like the general idea. The, the, the main focus, you know, from day one, other, other than the fans coming to Mad with Power Fest, the main focus from day one has been, I would love all of these bands to meet each other in person so that when they are going out on tour, they have a, a, just a big list of bands that they know that are cool that they can hang out with because like, it's one thing to like send a Facebook message and like somebody's page and you know follow their their posts or whatever. It's a whole another thing to get in a room with them and actually like you know interact in person and, and understand their their vibe as a human. I think there's a lot more um, connection that happens when that happens. And so you know it, it, I, if, if I can get all of the mid tier, mid to high tier power metal bands in a room together and and basically be like and kiss 
now kiss, be friends. (laughs) You know, if I can do that, then what we can do is we can make a scene in the United States where when somebody is 14, 15, 16 and they're making their first band, they, they look and they see, oh, my God. Lords of the Trident is best friends with Seven Kingdoms and they're super best friends with Seven Spires and they're, you know, they're doing this and this. This seems like a really great community to be a part of. I think I'm going to make a power metal band instead of making like, you know, an angry at your dad radio rock, you know, you know, band or something. I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? Like uh, the, the, the power metal genre in the United States is a lot, obviously a lot weaker in terms of support and output than it is over in Europe. And, and I think that this is a way that we can kind of seed the future of the power metal scene in the United States by, by making this outlook of the new wave of nice metal buds or whatever you want to call it, like kind of a reality uh, for any band that wants to be part of, part of our genre, part of our scene. You know, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the general, uh, the, the, the evil secondary plan of like, everyone will be friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, good for you. And I'm seeing a lot more of that in death metal as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah death yeah. metal, supporting each other, working together, high tides raise all ships. Uh, and that's very, very refreshing. Uh, as you were talking, the first thing that came to mind, the hardest thing that I have when organizing my fests, Brutal Montreal, Brutal Winnipeg coming up, is the beer aspect of things. How difficult is it to bring in that many arcade games on a three-story building? Oh, you know, actually, way, 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 way easier this year at least I'm, I'm hoping this is the first year we're in this new this new venue but this venue is a very big very modern venue and it has a loading dock for a semi and it's got ramps it's got ramps everywhere the other the other venue I loved it but the other venue did not have that many ramps there was a lot of stairs there was a second story with no elevator it, it getting all of the stuff up those stairs and down those stairs was a, a pain in the ass so I'm I'm very excited it it is definitely a um, it's th- this year is is a make or break year for for Mad with Power um, because you know in the past we had done um, twenty cabinets you know plus pinball right so we had like six pinballs and fifteen cabinets and that was in a five hundred capacity venue well now we've upped it to a twenty five hundred so that means we're basically going to need like sixty. You know, cabinets, pins, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so the uh, I, I've done I've done a festival in a 500 capacity venue for five years, six years, if you don't count, if you count COVID and all that sort of stuff. But um, so I know the I know the economics of scale. I know how to run a spreadsheet for a 500 capacity venue and I know how to like break even. What I don't know yet is will that spreadsheet translate to a 2500 capacity venue you know uh, and and what kind of margins are we going to expect with with different you know this and that and the other stuff um so so i'm hopeful but the back of the napkin costs uh to put this festival on for this year is $70,000 holy shit and and that's not some corporation is going to do 70 that's me that is like Holy shit. I am the person who is in charge of the purse strings and ultimately on the hook for paying these bands. And so essentially if if we don't break even this year, there may not be a future for Mad of Power because we may not be able to do the same, you know, sort of festival. So so I, I I'm I'm 
optimistic. I think things will go well. I think, you know, with Unleash Yertris as a headliner, I think we'll be okay. If, if this other headliner signs on, I think we'll be okay. But it, it is definitely uh, something that is weighing on my mind. It's a logistical challenge. Um, at the same time, I think for many bands, right, if you don't reach, then you don't grow, you know? And so this is a, this is, this is a, it, it's, it's a, it's a risk. And and we're gonna try it, and we're gonna see what happens. So that's super sick. And people go to the fest, get your tickets when they're on sale. Are they on sale now, or are they coming on sale? They will be on sale probably uh, soonish. I'm I'm still trying. I'm I'm trying to you know see if we can solidify the contract with Absolutely. the Friday night headliner. I would guess. So I would guess that tickets will probably go on sale late January, early February for Patreon backers only, and that we're gonna keep it Patreon exclusive for about three weeks. Uh, and then we will open it up to general admission. Uh, we do have things like you know silver VIP, gold VIP, sponsorship VIP tickets, and historically, all of those tickets uh, have gone to Patreon backers. Um, and actually, last year, fifty-three percent of all the tickets that were sold were sold to Patreon backers. So, you know, it's 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 pretty crazy when you think about it. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I'm doing a whole new segment called Fight the Hops, where uh, we talk about, or we think about, and we look into ourselves about something that you would like to improve upon yourself right now. What was something that you're working on, a small obtainable goal that hypothetically throughout 2023 you, is something that you can accomplish? Yeah, I've, I have I have it right off the cuff. So I've, I've been talking a lot about the new wave of Nice Metal Buds. I've been talking a lot about our friends and our friend bands. One of our, one of, I would say one of our closest friend bands is Seven Kingdoms out of Florida. And they have done something amazing where they just started on their Patreon. Uh, they started a seven kingdoms fitness challenge oh shit Um, that's cool and and for me it starts saturday i have a i've I've got this tonight so i'm like i'm i'm fucking drinking and then i got a show tomorrow so i'm fucking drinking but then saturday (laughs) but then saturday i start the fitness challenge and i gotta cut out most of the drinking we'll say um and uh and and so yeah one of the things i'd like to improve upon is uh is is you know i want to look good naked basically you know and right now you know it's it's like it's like five out of ten you know i'm like i'm like a wisconsin six you know which is like an <laughs> la two so i'd like to get more like a wisconsin eight la four you know like I'd, I'd like to try for that so i'm i'm gonna do i'm gonna do the fitness challenge with my my buds in seven kingdoms i dropped 20 pounds 
uh, right uh, right before or right after Mad with Power or during during Mad with Power uh, because I, I ended up testing for my third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Oh, that's um, sick. I've been doing that for about 20 years and uh, and and our, our tests go all day. We had this thing. So for third degree black belt, we have this without going. This is a bit of a tangent, but I, it's, it's worth it. It's pretty metal when you think about it. There is for third degree black belt. We have these things called mental disciplines uh, for for each degree of black belts and for each thing. The mental discipline for first degree black belt is you take your top off, you lay down on a bed of nails and they break a cinder block with a sledgehammer on your abs. Right. Wow. So and and by by first degree black belt, this is we're talking at least eight years. Right. It takes at least eight years to get first degree. You, you've done thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sit-ups. Your abs are fine. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a physics kind of a thing, right? For third-degree black belt, which is what I was going to test for, which is what I did test for, you take your shirt off, you lay down on a bed of nails, and in between the cinder block, the sledgehammer, and your, your, your naked chest, they have two razor-sharp katanas that they put on your chest, and then they put these cinder blocks on top of them. They usually do two or three, and then they break them with the swords, like, jutting into your chest, right? So the whole general gist of it, it's still a physics trick, but if you have a round chest, the, 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 you get cut. But the problem is, is if, if the swords go sideways, then you go to the hospital. Then it's like you get a bunch of stitches, if they just stay on your chest, you get cut, but you don't get like super cut. You get, you know, superficial kind of cuts. Um, so I did not want to go to the hospital. So I ended up dropping 20 pounds so that my stomach was a little bit more flat just in case the katanas were to were to shift or move. So I did that, went and tested, and it turned out because of COVID, they ended up having to move the test. I flew out to Boston. They ended up having to move the test from this park where they normally do the, the whole katana shit to Harvard Medical School quad. So I was in this beautiful Harvard Medical School quad surrounded by these ancient, you know, a- ancient, you know, ancient for America's standards buildings on all sides. And they couldn't fucking take the katanas out because they thought because it was like an insurance risk because Harvard Medical oh. School is like, no, no, no. And I'm like, dude, if I get <laughs> if I get cut, I'm in the Harvard Medical School. Yeah, like any one okay. of these students could get extra credit by just stitching me up. Like, come on. You know, but I, I dude, I wanted to do it so bad. I, I, I had multiple cameras. I was ready to get that sick footy. I was going to do slow motion like and, <laughs> and they just didn't do it. And it, uh, so anyway, I, I, I got my third degree black belt. I did not get to do the katanas. I'm hopeful one day that I will. But first, I got to re-lose the 20 pounds because then, you know, Halloween happened and there was a bowl of candy in the house. And like, that's that's that, that's the end of your 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 weight loss journey right there is a bowl of candy at Halloween. So that is insane. I did not know that <laughs> the third degree katana story. The question is, are you really a third degree if you didn't do it? But that's that's for yourself to ask yourself. You but. know, that's that's more of a personal personal growth type of a question, isn't it? <laughs> Love it. Fight the hops, people. Uh, what what are you guys going to be working on? Think about that. Um, beer collapse. Now, has Lord of the Tridents made? a beer yet i'd love to honestly I'd, I'd absolutely love to i'm such a beer nerd i would absolutely die to make a a, a beer collab 
I the weird thing is that like a lot of the beer there's there's many 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 breweries in Madison, but they're all very and I don't want to discourage this I don't want this to sound discouraging but they're like very hipster and you come to them you're like we're a metal band you know they're like mm, no come back to me when you're playing the <laughs> electrified banjo <laughs> you know. What, what we have done at Collab Through, and what I'm very proud of, is there is a local meadery. That, make, that makes sense, that too. That's on brand. Yeah, and, and we have a, they actually, for many years, uh, they have brewed a mead specifically for Mad With Power. It's the Mad With Power mead. And it, it's, a, it's an amazing mead. It's a, a cranberry and, uh, and, and, and tamarind. Uh, and it's a it's a sharp, sour, but but you know mildly sweet mead, and it's it's effervescent. It's really good. Um, uh, it's carbonated, um, and we have it on tap every year at Mad with Power, or that, or or their Hammer Smash Cherry. You can tell they're they're uh, <laughs> heavy metal fans. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we've we've been working with Boss Mead for many many years. They've been in our corner, uh, and and probably our first like official sponsorship and the 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 most fun thing about working with boss mead is they sell so they made this mad with power mead and it was a big hit and and it was a huge hit in their tap room and they decided to bottle it and sell it and so boss mead sells in grocery stores all over southern wisconsin and i i'll never forget the day that i walked into my local grocery store and i saw mad with power mead sitting on the shelf and my big dumb face right on it. And I grabbed it and I ran up to the dude at the counter. I'm like, look, look, look. At ah! You know, and I was like running around the store like, look, it's me. I'm on a grocery store item. Ah! You know, so excited. I have no, you know, people, I, people were probably very, you know, they were very nonplussed. They were like, uh, okay. You know, are you going to buy that? Or like, no, it's me. It's me. You know, so, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I, I still uh, get a kick out every time I go into the grocery store. I'm like, <laughs> there, there's like my dumb face. Look at that. So, yeah. <laughs> Everyone here knows that I love having my face on a beer. Uh, it's a fun thing. I mean, if you have any, you know, if you have any breweries who, you know, want to do some some big, stupid power metal, you know, and have my put my big, dumb face on something like, dude, I'll put my, I'll put my big, dumb face on anything. I have one last question for you. But before that, we will open up the floor to the Thirsty Thursday gang. Who here has a question for Ty from Lords of the Trident? I will say I did see a question earlier when we were talking about DIY stuff, and I think it was Peter. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. Peter is is from half the guitarist of half. And he's awesome. Yeah. So Peter said, how did you figure out, how did you figure out all the DIY stuff? how did you figure out making the, the shirts? Um, I ended up, uh, being, becoming friends with this guy, uh, called Martin, a well, named Martin Atkins. He was the drummer for nine inch nails and pig face and killing joke. Uh, and he ended up teaching at a, uh, a media college here in Madison, big white haired British guy. And, um, we won a battle of the bands competition and um, he at, at some point he said one of the prizes was to have like a business you know sit down with him and like figure out your band's business trajectory because he ran you know like media business and he's this I, I, I could listen to him talk forever he's like, ah, you know he's just sort of he's got this really big cockney accents 
And he's just like, huh, your band is terrible. What are you doing? You know, and I walked in and I'm like, you know, he's like, well, are you printing your own shirts? And I was like, no. He's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? You just, it's, that's a terrible thing. You need to fucking print your shirts. What are you doing? I'll show you how to do it. His it's super easy. You know, and uh, I, I would listen to him insult my band for like hours. It was, mwah, I loved him. So uh, that's that's how I how I learned, and I basically like worship at the altar of Martin Atkins, who's the I feel is like one of the original DIY dudes. So very very sick, um, Philip Dervitas of the Whispers from the Void podcast. You have a question for Ty. Go for it. Hello, Ty. So my question, simple. Uh, Lords of the Trident, where the name is coming from? So, because I saw that, I was like, okay, Lords of Trident. So it's talking about Poseidon. But I see the name, I'm like, okay, first album is called Death and Sandwich. I'm like, it doesn't, like, it's not calling about, like, it's not talking about Poseidon. (laughs) So I'm curious, what is it? (laughs) So, you know, the the honest-to-God answer for this, and I wish, I, I honestly wish I had a better... I, I wish I had a better origin story for the name, but um, when when Lords of the Trident uh, started, we essentially um, the the guitarist uh, Aki, uh, the Asian metal in the in the band, Aki and I are best friends, and we roomed together junior year in college in in the dorms, which is kind of unheard of. You usually, like move out of the dorms by junior year, but we decided to room together. We met the original lead guitarist of the band, uh, Socrates of Shred, in the dorms. And one night they were just like noodling, you know, they were they were on their practice amps and like, you know, and I was playing playing Counter-Strike in the corner on my computer or whatever. And I get a tap on my shoulder and Aki goes, he goes, hey, we came up with this like, this song idea. Could, could you record this on your computer? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe. Let's figure it out. So we were up until three in the morning recording the first like minute and 45 seconds of this dumb song and i think around one in the morning they were like this needs vocals like ty you, you sing you're you're in a band i was in a band in college you know at the time it was more of an alternative rock band kind of like pearl jam you know They're like yeah just do like a like a fucking like do like a like a like a man of war like ah! you know you could do that right like ah! and i was like i maybe i don't know maybe i could do it you know, so it was it was like one in the morning and, and it was one in the morning brain, you know, so they hit record and I just started singing lyrics. And those lyrics are still the lyrics of that song to this day. Like the, the shit that just came out of my brain at one in the morning, like, you know, through the night, through the dawn of time, you know, it's sh- stupid, crazy shit. So we, we finished this up and we were going to post it to Facebook and at that time, now here's here's where I age myself. Now at that time, kids, Facebook used to only be for college people, and we were and we were friends with only the people in our college. So you know, we there was only people in the dorms that we were friends with. So so basically, only the people in that general area were going to hear it. And I was all ready to post. It was three, by the time we finished, it was three in the morning. I was all ready to post it. But I didn't want to call, you know, it, we were making the MP3 and it was like, you know, artists with the name was staring me in the face. You know, I didn't want to call it like Ty, Ian, Ty, Brian and Aki, 
You know, I wanted to call it something like epic. Ooh, you know. And so so Aki looks at me and he's like, Ty, we got to name this something. I'm like, yeah. Uh, Lords of the Trident Unite. And so we're like, yeah, we'll do that. You know, Lords of the Trident Unite. And uh, and and so that's what we named it. It was it was like completely just out of my brain. No, no, no rhyme or reason as to why I chose that. And uh, and 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 we, we we were Lords of the Trident Unite for a while, uh, maybe the first year of the band. And then people just kept saying like, oh, yeah, we're going to go see Trident tonight. Or we're going to Trident practice or blah, 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 blah you know. Just and and so we ended up. We said, "Oh, this is too long." A couple of our early posters, you still see "Lords of the Trident Unite" on there, and um, so we dropped the "Unite" part, and then we just became "Lords of the Trident." So it, it 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 really means nothing. A lot of people have asked me, like, "Oh, is it a Game of Thrones reference?" It's like, dude, I didn't even fucking i I had no idea that was even a thing. It's literally gibberish. I don't I don't I don't know. You know so. <laughs> That's interesting because, like, when you said Lords of the Trident Unites, I thought it was Power Ranger reference. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you should do like a garden show called, called Lords of the Trident. Oh, yeah. What, what I want to do, you know, what, I, I, what I've wanted to do for many, many years, and I've told the guys this and they keep rejecting the idea, is I want to make an album called Unite. You know, where it's just sort of like, ah, ah, yeah, for the like the really, really old school fans. And they're just like, nah. A concept uh. about, about a band that is doing like Lords of the Trident. There you go. <laughs> There it is. There it is. <laughs> That's amazing. I had read that you were a little bit inebriated when you came up with the name. Oh, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, we were in the dorms, so it was, you know, what else were you going to do? So, so that was a drunken idea that turned out for the good. What is the worst drunken band-related idea? <sighs> Where it's okay. It's a really good idea when you're drunk, but then when you wake up, you're like, "Oh no, no, this is not a good idea." So, hmm, you know, that's a that's a really good question, and and I think the problem with that question is is that we are like we're a lot of like generally straight laced kind of nerds you know like we like we like we like to have fun and go to bed at 11 hey you know <laughs> like so so there, there's very few opportunities to get into like really problematic or you know uh, uh, questionable behavior when you're drunk I, i'll say one of the most amazing things so we just got back from a japan tour and we ended up at a private club in Roppongi in Tokyo, which is the red light district. And the, and the guy there was probably Yakuza. Like, he had tattoos everywhere. Like, probably organized crime. But, you know, I, he was extremely nice, and we're friends on Facebook now. So, I mean, like, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, like... We It's walked, gotta be a good guy. <laughs> we walked in, and there's, like, all of these, like, white anemic looking bored looking women smoking just you know and they're all like reasonably attractive you know and and he brings in five pitchers of beer 30 shots uh a uh, 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 175 at Grey Goose a Don Julio you know 10 energy drinks pizzas popcorn and you know we're we're like seven shots in and we're all like yeah you know at at uh, 2 a.m. in Tokyo 
and he's like, "Do you do you like do your your band is is married?" <laughs> because we had we had a actually I, my wife was there, my bassist bassist wife was there, guitarist wife was there, and I was like, "Oh, uh, well, um, I'm married." So our our guitarist Aki isn't married, and Brett's uh, wife is back in Wisconsin. He's like, "Oh, do you do you like do you want to?" Ladies, <laughs> and at the time I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, if I was a little bit drunker, or if 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 Brett, our drummer, was in that conversation, uh, he he probably would have said yes because because he was like we were back in the in the room and he was like, well, what? We could just talk to him. What's the harm? We just talk to him, you know. I think he was just interested in like seeing what the life of like a person who hangs out at a bar and like makes money by the hour talking to people who come to the bar was, you know, it was, it was very innocent, but I was like, I was like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. So if he had made that decision, apparently the, apparently how the bar stays in business is like all the drinks are free, all the pizza and popcorn and whatever you want is free. But once the ladies come in, that's when the charges start. Wow. So, so you guys you guys totally were smarter than the bar. Accidentally. Like, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> we found that out later, you know. But if he was good, that, you that have You didn't have someone, like, from Japan with you the whole time? No, no. I, I speak Japanese, so we, we okay. yeah, we figured it all out. But I, I didn't realize, like, different bars operate differently. And, you know. The, Absolutely. And so, but, yeah, so, so we ended up drinking... A lot for free, and and the best part is, is it was so sweet. He wrapped up the Grey Goose and the Don Julio, and he sent it home with gift. us. Yeah, really? yeah. It was like half. We're like it was like half empty, and we're like, can we we, we can we just bring this in an Uber? What is it? Ha, huh? He's like, oh, he's a ja- Japan. No problem. No problem. Okay, I'm like I'm unbelievable. Like, so we we carried that Don Julio all the way through the rest of the the tour with us until our last final days, where we finished it off at a celebration that we were done with the tour. So. Yeah. Well, being good boys pays sometimes, people. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, we're we're just kind of like boring, it doesn't. But it was a great story. Boring nerds. <laughs> no. We don't really get into trouble all that much. So, um, West Coast Jerry, <laughs> what's up, Ty? Thanks for uh, doing this. By the way, uh, two questions. Uh, one, the record exec that you said no to. Did you tell him why you said no? And then the second question, unrelated to that, is what's included in your course. Yeah, um, so the record exec that I said no to, I did not, I didn't even respond to him. I responded to his, like, the person we were talking to, and I was like, all right, no deal, you know, basically. Uh, I, and that was after, like, three days of just going, like, I just, ah, you know, I, rem- I remember being at work that morning, like, getting that email, driving to work, and then staring at the floor for, like, two hours, just like... <sighs> so, yeah, no, we we never we never told him, but you know, it eh, it's, it's okay. It worked out. It, everything was great. The the bands. So we we were going to sign to that label because of two friend bands who had also signed to that label, and we thought, oh, and and one of the friend bands who shall remain nameless was kind of on the up and up. And we're like, well, one of us is going to get to the point where we can do like U.S. tours. And wouldn't it be great if we were 
you know, like we're already friends with these dudes. Wouldn't it be great if we were on the same label? So we're basically like the the shoe in to be the opening act or to like swap every night with them, um, which was the main reason why we were doing it. So, uh, and then what's in, what's involved in the course? So I've got I've got two technically three courses with uh, Spectre Digital. The DIY course is like a two in one thing, and I they they used to sell it as like a package. I'm not 100 percent sure if they're if they split it up. There's a DIY merch course, which covers uh, making T-shirts, uh, making uh, other items that are easily DIYable for your uh, your merch booth, and setting up your merch booth in a way to um, to maximize sales using kind of like the psychology of uh, of, of salesmanship and the general like uh, merch booth. Using a lot of I, I've talked a lot to um, Alex from uh, from Psychostick. Um, he has a master's in business psychology. So every time I talk to him, we're always talking about uh, setting up a merch booth in such a way to maximize retention, sales, and and things like that. And the different like psychological papers that are currently out about psychology in in uh, just general sales. He's an amazing treasure trove of knowledge that I've been able to to tap into. So there's a lot of that in the course um, about, you know, different different ways to set up the merch booth in such a way that will maximize your success. Because I think most bands out there know that like 90% of your income night to night comes from the merch booth, not the door, right? So the more the more time and effort and thought you put into the layout and how things are and, and what you're selling and why you're selling it and that kind of stuff, the more money you can make and the better your, your road experience is. Um, so that, that's that's one of the course. The other course is uh, DIY touring. So it's the entire roadmap of setting up uh, setting up a tour for success. How to do local, regional, and you know, sometimes even national tours uh, in the best way possible to basically guarantee that you come out more or less in the black. Um, there, there's a couple of tidbits in there uh uh that that i that i talk about we, we've switched over to a lot more of like uh so I'll, I'll, i guess i'll just say real quick one of one of the little tidbits is that we we do um the revolving compass of doom technique that we've that we've kind of stolen or come up with modified from martin atkins where we pick a direction every month and we do a mini tour so we're, we're cultivating markets in like a 10, 11 hour driving radius, you know, and we hit the same market twice a year. Um, and, and we've been doing that for a couple of years and we actually haven't had any tours in the last five, six years that have come out in the red. We've, we've made money on every single tour in the last five years, um, which I don't think is something that many bands can say or have done. Um, and so I, I go through the entire process of how we set all that up and how we uh, how we recommend people to set up, you know, local, regional, national tours in the DIY touring stuff. Um, we also have a whole spreadsheet that, you know, automatically fills in stuff and tells you your miles per gallon and what you can expect to make and all that sort of stuff uh, night to night. So that's that's two of them. The other one that I just released recently is called Own the Stage. Uh, a masterclass in vocal performance and technique. And that is uh, basically a singing course. Um, so we go through, uh, I, I have a, I've been studying opera for the last five years. 
And so my opera instructor uh, and I put together this course to teach um, vocal technique uh, and and exercises to increase your range, increase your stamina, and to keep you healthy on the road night to night. Uh, and on top of that, so he teaches that part, and I teach stage performance. So how to be engaging, how to uh, fake charisma, how to, you know, what, what sort of moves to use on the stage. And we even go into things like vocal EQ, um, you know, vocal effect, common vocal effects, different styles of uh, monitoring and all that sort of stuff. It's a six, five, five or six hour course that we do on that. So, yeah, that, that was a lot, lot of fun to put together. We're already thinking about a part two for like uh, distorted vocals. We're thinking about doing a lot more in depth on like screaming, growling, uh, that kind of stuff. He's he's been really into that as of late. So amazing. Up next, we have Peter from Half. Hail Half. What's up, guys? Hey, Ty. Uh, I came up in DIY scenes and uh, I have a very big soft spot for power metal. So this has been like one of my favorite interviews so far. Um, Not a question, but I wanted to share some Wisconsin love. Uh, I was out there earlier this year and there's, if you're ever in Menemone, um, there is a newer brewery called Zimurgi, Z-Y-M-U-R-G-Y, I think. Okay. Uh, huh. We played a show there. Uh, I think we were only their second or third metal show. Um, but they lo- the people who, who uh, run it love metal. They love throwing shows. And they said the town is like so receptive to it. It was just like they kind of like what you described, like electric banjos. That's what they were used to. And oh. on a whim, they threw a metal show and the whole town showed up. Um, so I just wanted to share that a little bit. Uh, I I just found it. Yeah, in Menominee. Oh. All right, I'm going to put that on my list. Thank you. Thank you for that info. Zamergi. Ooh. Belton Jasper, a question for Ty. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, uh, Ty. Uh, Great interview. Thank you for the energy that you bring. You keep uh, an hour and 40 minutes entertaining, Um, (laughs) which is not not uh, matt knows this better than anyone that's not a given um a semi-serious question for you because i'm really intrigued by you know your drive of you clearly want to be a catalyst in the north american power metal scene and you know you you mentioned a couple of times that you're like you know i want to you want to help build a scene which let's be honest it's not really there just yet there's not a north american power metal scene um Power metal hasn't been popular in North America since 1988, but in the last like five or six years, we're seeing both North American power metal bands, Canadian and uh, American. I'm just going to keep it to the States and and Canada for this. Apologies to all the Mexican uh, listeners. But um, we're seeing a lot of those bands get more popular. And at the same time, you know, I, I live in Toronto in Canada, but I'm from Belgium. Uh, a lot of European bands start European power metal bands started to go in and trad metal bands started to go into the North America space as well to tour more and more, um, which is cool. And something seems to be brewing there. Like the like power metal seems to be more popular. In your perspective, living in the front lines, what has changed in the last five years that all of a sudden power metal is no longer the ugly duckling in North American metal, but is actually getting some time in the spotlight again? Oh, man, that's a really 
That's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I think, I think like many things in, in music, um, a lot of stuff goes in, in terms of popularity goes in waves, right? So you, you, you see things, uh, becoming popular and then becoming, and, and then becoming oversaturated. Right. And, and I think, <clears throat> I think one of the things that, that helps the U S power metal scene is the fact that it, it, hasn't been like you said it hasn't been oversaturated you know since the 80s and and in US especially we have a, a a ton of various flavors of like death metal you know anytime that we're out and about and we say we are a metal band you know instead of like a power metal band or whatever even even when we say we're a power metal band uh you know for for local booking agents they almost always throw us together with like uh, some flavor of, of, of death metal, you know? And, and I think that there is such a, there's such a divide um, and, and such a distance between a lot of the flavors of death metal and a lot of the flavors of power metal that, you know, for anyone in the know, putting them on a, a bill together doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. But in, in, in some cases it does melodic death metal, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so for me, I, the reason that I think power metal is getting a little bit more popular nowadays um, in the U.S. and again, it's it's still a very, very, very much a niche subgenre. Uh, I think has a lot to do with the fact that I think people maybe are getting a little sick of their or or maybe sick is not the right word, but like oversaturated with like their local death metal band. Uh, or oversaturated with the type of uh, hard radio rock that would cons- that that some people would be considered to be metal, you know. Um, nowadays, uh, stuff like uh, like rap, trap, lo-fi is getting really popular in terms of what young people are listening to and what you know larger festivals are are booking and seeing. And so, I think the opportunity for power metal and the reason why it's kind of gaining traction is because it is, uh, you know, it, I guess a bit of a softer side of metal, so much of a different genre from the more popular metal generally in America that it can be seen as 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 a quote-unquote new genre. Um, and I'd like to think that also the, the, the tight-knitness of the, of the community, you know, how everybody is helping each other out and being friends and being on each other other's tours i'd like to think that's helping it's it's obviously that's it's hard for me to say it's like you know are the seeds that i'm throwing and that everybody not just me are the seeds that everybody is throwing into the ground you know sprouting it's hard to tell it's under the dirt you've no idea right but i'd 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 hope and i'd like to think that the general tight-knitness of the community is is helping to bring people out to shows and to encourage people uh, who are booking shows, booking tours, booking festivals uh, to, to think about booking, you know, bands like us, bands like Seven Kingdoms, bands like Aether Rome, you know, more melodic death, but still on the power side of things. You know, I, I, I would, I would hope that that's why things are kind of coming on the up and up. I think, I think the, I think if we want it to continue to be, uh, a long-term growth. I think if we want to continue to 
to see that that uh, that trend continue, right? I think we really need to pay attention to uh, fostering unity in the community and fostering uh, a sense of togetherness, which is you know it's kind of kind of what I'm trying to do. But whether or not that will ultimately be successful, I guess that will be up to that will be up to the ages to decide. <laughs> Yeah. Natalka, the person that put this interview together, she has a question. So my question, I guess, probably a little obscure, but judging by how we met, I think it's fitting. What is your favorite piece of opera to sing when you were by yourself? Oh, oh, when I'm by myself. That's a great one. Um, lately, lately, it's been uh, Recondita Armonia, the one I did with Rav. Um, and I think the reason for that is it's 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 r- kind of right in my ballpark of um, it, uh, of of general um, range, but it has moments of um, stretching. So the 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 B flat right at the end is a great litmus test for me when I'm warming up when I'm singing. If I can hit that B flat cleanly and I can hit it in a good full voice. Then I know, okay, I'm I'm ready to go forward and sing more challenging things. If it's a little crispy, if it's like not quite there, if I go, ah, then I know I got to do more warm ups, or I know I got to like pull it back a little bit. Um, it, it's it it's seeming to be a little bit easier for me to to sing that and to you know use that as a as a gauge rather than something like Nessendorma, you know, uh, rather than something like. Um, the sad clown aria, you know, Ridi <laughs> Pagliaccio. Uh, it, it, it's just a little bit more of, yeah. I, 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 it's, it's good. It's a good warm up for me, and it's a good, you know, like where I'm at in the night, kind of a thing. When I, I remember the first show in Tokyo on this tour, uh, I, I, I closed myself into a very small bathroom and sang that just to kind of see where I was at. And it was like, I was like, all right, ready to fucking rock it. And what I didn't realize is that there was like all these ventilation systems that went out like into the main hall. <laughs> so people were here, they're like, wah, wah, wah. And, you know, like, and I walked out and there was a bunch of people who were like, oh, Sugoi, whoa, you are very good. You are very good to sing. Wow, you are singing very good. Oh my God. So I was like, oh, I'm uh, sorry. This is warming up. that's incredible i love it very much (laughs) interesting how often asian toilets have been part of this interview hell yeah dude i can make this whole interview it's a bookend the bookend the beginning (laughs) and the ending i love it i have one last question for you ty classic vox and hops wrap-up question now i imagine that you you must have used it um, after your drunken quarantine karaoke uh, on this past New Year's, uh, which lasted just about six hours, six hours long, and you drank 20 drinks and had 11 shots. It's, it's, I'm impressed. So, so, so every once in a while, it happens to everyone, especially after doing that. What is your hangover cure? Oh, man. I, I, very, very simple, just like a shitload of water. Um, Pedialyte, uh, coconut water works. I, I, I feel like Pedialyte and coconut water, I don't know, you know, a, a lot of us, you know, seasoned drinkers have had that. And it just feels weird in your... It's so syrupy. It's, well, it, it feels like heavy, you know? It, it, it does work. 
Uh, I would say water, Gatorade, for sure. The, the secret, so what a lot of people don't know about the, the, the drunken quarantine karaoke, this is this is number six. So I've, I've been a seasoned veteran of getting really drunk and singing poorly on camera. But, um, you know, uh, the secret ahead of time is carbo-loading. Like, I buy a fucking, you know, I buy like three pizzas, and, and I'll just like take down a, a three quarters of a pizza you know and then i'll just get on camera and then we do the 20 shots and and the carbos kind of like just suck up suck up the uh the, the, the at least for me you know suck up the the alcohol to an extent um but yeah a lot of a lot of the stream has been water 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 pedialyte gatorade um you know and and making sure you have nothing to do the next day yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the hangover cure is being hungover and making sure you have nothing to do the next day. That's the hangover cure. Unbelievable, uh, Brian. You had your hand up for a sec. You have a question. Yeah, I was going to agree with him with the carb loading thing. Uh, there was a day back in my heavier drinking days. Um, I went to a bar about seven o'clock or so in, in the evening, but we went to a sandwich shop beforehand, and we both got. It, it's it's a large sandwich, but it's bigger than like a Subway large, whatever. Um, I don't know how I had room for beer after that, but it was dollar domestics. So the quality isn't there, but you're going to have a full belly. It's not going to be a good night. We drank till the bar closed and I was somehow still alive the next morning and not in a ton of pain. So yeah, carb, if, if you have the stomach for it, carb loading can definitely work. And I very much agree on the electrolyte drinks as well. They're godsend <laughs> thanks brian ty thank you so so much hanging out with me talking about your life talking about music talking a little uh, we talked about craft beer i like it very much uh, about diy about um so much we didn't even touch patreon which i had a whole thing about because you you guys are like the master classes of patreon the for, for you know with the number one most funded indie metal band which is incredible with over 424 people at this point, almost $4,000 Canadian uh, a month. It's very impressive. Uh, we didn't even touch on that. So you got to come back is basically what I'm saying. Oh, oh gosh, I'm going to have to drink beer and talk. Oh no. Oh no. I, I suppose I'll make it work. <laughs> I appreciate you very much. Uh, massive cheers to you. Thirsty Thursday gang. As always, uh, unmute yourselves and give Ty a warm send off before I stop recording and we keep hanging out. Uh, you should have been here, people, if you wanted to keep hanging out with us, but you're not. <laughs> Here. Cheers. Yeah. Hey. hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know what I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome, awesome Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. Massive shout out once again to Natalka for introducing me to Ty. What an amazing guest. I was blown away as I was doing my research at the amount of things that Ty has pulled off all by himself. It's extremely impressive and super inspiring, uh, even for myself, to uh, think about things differently, to imagine uh, different ways of doing things. And there's not just one way to do something in this world. And Ty definitely opened my eyes to that. Give him some love on Patreon. Follow them on YouTube. Go and pick up his DIY course on Spectre Academy. I have put the links to all of that in the description of this podcast. Massive cheers to you, Ty. I cannot wait to hang out some more. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive 
one email a week where you shall hear about everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to see about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And I have a massive one in the works right now. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed. And you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There is always a whole bunch of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. And I hate when you miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back on Friday with a brand new episode. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.